I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. As always, brilliant to be with you and a chance to, to share some really important conversations about people who are doing just amazing things to support young people within the education system. And today we're talking about emotional well-being and specifically EQ, which is an emotional well-being app for schools and students. I'm delighted to be joined by Zia Litvin and she's the co-founder, CEO and psychologist herself. Now EQ is purpose-built for students and staff in education. And the EQ team is made up of psychologists, mental health advocates and creatives with a shared passion for improving the mental well-being of all students. Mental health is more relevant than ever, especially in young adults, but getting support is costly with long waiting times and associated stigma. That's why they've built this state-of-the-art app, accessible at any time with the most robust reporting system so that every student and staff member can build the best versions of themselves. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation about the EQ app and also give you an opportunity to have another place where you can support your children in what is probably the most important area of their lives. Hi, Zilia. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. Um, well-being and mental health is something which is incredibly close to my heart. It's something which has affected us as a family before. And I think it's so much in the public domain now that it's not necessarily something which people feel like they have to be fixed, but something which they can just be aware of and have as a conversation with themselves and others, I think, on a regular basis, just as we talk about health and we talk about fitness and that kind of thing. It's all part and parcel of the same thing. So I think having tools and an understanding of that as part of the same conversation can be nothing but beneficial to everyone, I think. So yeah, so thanks so much for being here, first of all. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. So why don't we start with what is EQ and exactly what it is that you're able to support people with through it? Yes, thank you. So um, I'm a, a clinical psychologist. And um, when you study psychology, you learn all about diagnostics and treatments and symptoms, but you don't actually learn about the healthcare system. So when I went and started working with the NHS in a priory for eating and mood disorders, I was really shocked to come across people who had been waiting to see me and my colleagues for half a year up to nine months. Plus they had had the first symptoms that they had um, maybe three or four years before that. And I realized that first of all, even if I work myself to, to the bones, I wouldn't be able to help enough people. And second of all, that we should start putting things in place like tools that you just mentioned that would stop them from even having to see me and going on those wait lists, right? And so I started the journey of saying I cannot scale myself, but I could possibly build something that I could scale. And we um, uh, put together a company called PsychApps and our flagship tool is called EQ. And it is a so-called emotional fitness mobile game that's evidence-based. So it's gone through multiple clinical trials 
And it, it takes the know-how of the gaming industry to get young adults, so teens and young adults, interested enough to engage so that they can benefit from the clinical effect of playing the game. And I think, like I said, the engagement's the really important yes. thing. Yes. And and also knowing that it's based, like you say, in research and understanding and put together by people who really know what they're talking yeah. about. And that kind of must be a real game changer in terms of the support and the understanding and the kind of, I guess, being heard in that sense of you really do understand what's going on and what people are going through. Yes, I would say for a, a mobile tool like an app um, in the mental health space, there are two large challenges. The first one is, is it evidence-based or not? So I think there are about over 10,000 apps that have in their keywords something depression, anxiety, mental health, resilience, mental well-being, mental wellness, wellness, and so on and so forth, right? But only 2% of them are actually evidence-based. So have actually tested that what they are doing works and is um, ethically, um, you know, uh, uh, approved and um, is um, tested for risks. So that's the big one, right? And I think right now that there is, people are a bit confused what is out there. So they start leaning on these things of saying, okay, at least it's gone through clinical evidence. So that that's a strong one. And the second one are the drop-off rates. So if you're looking what is out there, we are not necessarily competing against another mental health app. We are competing against TikTok. We are competing against people that are out there meeting their friends and playing football and, um, you know, uh, partying, clubbing, um, uh, doing art, whatever it is, right? So theoretically, that's the kind of standard that we need to have. And engagement is everything. So um, the, the World Health Organization says on average, people spend two minutes on a mobile mental health product, and then they drop off. And of course, that adds another threshold, right? Because then people say, okay, great, now I'm not doing so well anyway, and men digital mental health is not for me either. So we, we're trying to kind of be the vitamin gummy bear <laughs> of the mental <laughs> health space by making it fun and engaging um, instead of another chore, another thing that they have to do more work, you know? And what is it specifically about that sort of gamify gamification that that kind of not only works but in terms of the what people will see once they sort of download it and get involved in it so the game is an interactive choose your own adventure story game so you come in and um you're you, you build your avatar so we um we kind of support people to build the avatar as closely as they can to themselves so of course it's it's very um diverse and inclusive avatar building and then they are introduced to different narratives. So they come in and there are lots of different stories that they can choose from depending on what kind of genres they're interested in. They could be um, a love story. It could be a kind of like a Lord of the Rings fantasy story. It could be a, um, a, a teenage drama like Euphoria or something like that. So they can choose whatever story they find most appealing. They go into that story playing themselves, being a part of that story and at the beginning, they learn psychological skills that are based on cognitive behavioral therapy, systemic therapy, and positive psychology. These psychological skills are all to build resilience, lower depression, anxiety, and then on top of that, boost personal development skills and interpersonal relationship skills. They learn one of these skills, and then they go into the story and they meet characters where they have to implement the skills that they just learned in order to collect gems and level up and go through the story. So it's kind of like 
the same thing as if you would sit in, in your therapy session, you would learn about not generalizing anxiety, like, you know, generalizing it, saying, okay, it's, I'm always going to fail math, for example, right? Um, and then you, you, you're challenged by character in the story, and then you have to implement what you just learned. And that's how people remember it um, when it, they need to. It's kind of like it's at the ready as part of one of their cognitive skills when they are generalizing. So it allows them to understand what generalizing is. I'm just using generalizing as an example. We have many, many psychological skills in the game. They can recognize it, and then they can challenge their own thoughts. And that's practically exactly what therapy is. And you mentioned the vitamin idea there, as opposed to the aspirin uh, uh, idea in terms of we really need something now and how can that help? So is it very much on the side of the prevention or if people are slightly maybe further down that path of needing more support, are you able to provide that as well? Yeah, so we are, you know, up until very, very, um, uh, just a bit ago, people thought very much of mental health as a bit of a sliding scale. So on one end, you have very well-adjusted individuals that um, are psychologically very healthy. And at the other end, you have people that um, you lose to suicide. And I would say that we are on the lower part of that spectrum and are a product that is very interesting for young adults that are working on personal development. So they are curious, they have a growth mindset, they want to see what else is out there, how can I be stronger, better, how can I learn more, they're curious about psychology, they can see it as a skill set, right? Then we have people who are in vulnerable situations. And right now coming out of COVID, a lot of young adults are very vulnerable. And they, it's kind of like a, a wisp of air can not knock them on their butts, right? So that's for that population as well. So that if something happens in their lives, they will have the skill set as not to fall quite as far. And then you have people who are already experiencing um, symptoms of depression and anxiety, which are the two most widespread disorders, especially for young adults and teens. Um, and that already treats them and up to um, the level of a beta blocker, but without side effects. So it is made to boost resilience and positive mental health, but it also can treat early onset depression and anxiety. And then we can triage people who score higher on depression and anxiety, for example, or really, really low on resilience to care that is especially for the, the college, the secondary school or the university that we um, are working with. And and is that the way forward? Is it sort of that direct link within a, an organization, a school and a college, rather than a, an individual doing it on their own? Yeah, so we, we will always be open for um, the public. So anybody can always download EQ on the app stores. And I, I will do my darnest to make sure that stays that way because I want people to have access to it. But we are a model like we sell to schools that have teenagers and young adults and uh, colleges and universities. So that's practically our target model market for multiple reasons um, because they really need help and support and they need to keep their young adults um, healthy enough to be able to concentrate and have the right skills to be able to manage challenges and like boring classes and failing and still go up and go back to school and back to college and everything. Um, and then I also love the idea that the government or an institution will pay for, for the product and not the, the consumer itself so that not the weight of self-care is then put again on the shoulders of a, of a young adult. So they have to decide, am I going to go out with my friends or am I going to buy a, an app that I don't feel as bad as I do right now? Right? And so, so that, that is a great solution for us. 
And I guess one of the things that always crosses my mind is the fact that certainly with the education system, and I think I've mentioned this once or twice before, is that these products are so important, but they're also trying to solve a solution for something that's created by the system which the young people are involved in, which is a bit of a a, a bit of a sort of a, a double-edged sword, isn't it, from that point of view? I feel like sometimes it's the sticky plaster that is just sort of covering the greys having just been whacked around the knees with a with a bat or something. Yeah. And um and and I think for me it's that sense of like say the the catching people young enough and at a stage in their life where they're able to say, look, this is the life that we're in. You know, there are different forms of education in different schools and different situations, but at some point you're going to come up against something which is going to need that resilience and that understanding. And this is part and parcel of something that I want to do and something that I'm able to do. But we also know that like they're not necessarily going to go out and get that just because someone's mentioned it like I say so I think that idea of being in the schools is incredibly important in the same way as they might not decide to go and learn English today if they're at home they will do it because they're in school and it's what they have to do and I think that sort of using that kind of format and that sort of idea of the fact we're here to learn not just the the STEM subjects but much more about ourselves and and having that in the mix like you say with arts whether it's socializing whether it's anything that you're doing as part of your life it's something that you can you can take part in and also I guess in terms of sharing with your friends as well because the more people you know are involved in it and using it then that's going to sort of make it more and more um, popular I guess for for those people that are actually at the school. Uh, I like what you just said, because it, it, sometimes it sounds um, that young people are just, you know, not strong enough or they're snowflakes or something like that. And people ignore the amount of stressors and pressure and um, issues that they are dealing with on an everyday basis in a digital world that we, sorry, like, I'm just including you in the old people pool. <laughs> uh, quite right, too. <laughs> Didn't have to, you know, have the skills to deal with. And in my head, there's this meme with this big tank of water with a hole and the guy just slaps that, um, you know, the, the tape on it. <laughs> and um, I, I know that for a lot of people, a, a tool like that would be that. But on the other hand, it might take them across that gap of, of, of pain that they can come out the other end and then choose, choose something that is more um, suited to their personality and to their level of resilience and everything. So we're trying to build the game to be sticky and interesting enough for people to just play on their own. So for example, when they go home uh, on the bus ride home or they're, they're sitting in their bed before going to sleep or something like that. But of course, it will have more impact if you do it in a school setting or a classroom setting, and then you get to discuss amongst yourself. And you, for example, people will understand that they're not alone that they're not experiencing the same things all by themselves and that other people have tools that may not have been mentioned in the game um, that they can live, learn off of. So um, a lot of secondary schools, colleges slightly less so, but some, yes, um, are actually putting that into their classes. So yeah, their well-being classes. So they go, they do a level a week and then they go and they discuss what have you learned? How did you implement it? How, um, how can you recognize it better? Um, what is the difference to what you've been doing so far? And and that's really powerful. So um, we try to make it so you don't have to do that because I know that schools have enough on their plate and their curriculum is very, very large. But if people do want to integrate it, it's um, extremely helpful. And in, in terms of that interest, take us through a little bit of your story in terms of where did that interest come from you? Obviously enough to become, you know, fully qualified and, and, and be part of that world. And also I'm always really interested in 
it's all very well having an idea that we need to solve the problem, like you say, the waiting lists or, or to help people before. It's another actually going out and building it and everything that comes with it. So take us through that kind of journey and, and sort of your relationship with that in terms of, sort of your personality and, and why that was so strong. Yeah, it's quite it's quite interesting because um, I have wanted to study psychology since I was 12. I was born in Germany. I moved to Southern California when I was two. Then I moved to Luxembourg when I was 12, moved to Germany when I was 14. And then like, I've been traveling the world and that it, it sounds exciting. But as a child, I felt that people were very chaotic, unpredictable, sometimes scary. And I, 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 I felt like I was missing a handbook, like something was going on and I, I was exposed to it, but I didn't really have any control about what was happening. And as a child, that is absolutely true. Right. And I remember that my sister got a book about body language, like the very typical things you cross your arms, you know, you're being defensive, the way your feet are um, uh, leveled. If you nod, if you look up to the left, you're lying, things like that. And it blew my mind that there was a science that allowed you to understand why people did the things they did, as well as why you were feeling the way you did. And from that day on, I wanted to study psychology. And I guess I'm very lucky because sometimes you come across something as a child that you're quite passionate about and you grow out of it and then you have to find something new. And the more I learn about psychology, the more intriguing I find it. So now one of my favorite parts in the company is sitting down with my um, clinical lead and saying, okay, what can we do? Like, what can we, what can we research? What papers can we um, publish? Uh, what is out there that we can incorporate? So it's, it's very exciting. It's, it's fun it's it's just very motivating and um i'm i'm blessed that i'm able to do what i am and i have like the support of my family and my team um and i guess uh so ignorance would be one of the reasons why i did what i did because i had no idea about the pain that was coming my way <laughs> um and then once i i started building i was like a dog with a bone like i knew i had something and it was it was going in the right direction. It was a bit of a no-brainer to me. And I would come across people that had that same effect. They were like, of course a game, like mental health, because the brain is made for narration and play. That's how you learn. Of course, that would be the reason. And, and you know, the, the gaming industry is 20 years ahead of us uh, regarding behavioral psychology. Why don't we just use that to get people to stick to um, uh, therapy? Um, and then I, I just kind of kept on going, kept on going. And um, now I think my team and I are at a tipping point where we have an amazing opportunity to really get this growing. We just had our first seed round with a VC um, that is specializing on deep tech and um, mental health and everything. And we're coming across our first big show, education show, the bet show um, very soon. Mm -hmm. So um I think if we get this right, we might become a household name like Calm or Headspace very soon. And so is this completely taken over your professional life now? Is it where you have to spend all your energy? Are you able to still have sort of one one f toe in, in, in your sort of past professional camp? No, this is me. And this has been me for the last five uh, so no, I had to, I had to actually work to be able to finance the startup before I, we got external financing. So that's not hundred percent true. It was a hundred percent me 
Um, but working with my toe dipped in somewhere else, but you know, my soul was with, with psychops and building EQ. Um, but, um, for the last two years, it's been solely working on the startup, you know, doing the research, doing the clinical trials, publishing papers and, um, bringing a team together and raising money, which is an absolute nightmare. I can imagine. And I, and I just think it's really fascinating for people to hear because it's not just the kind of, this is an interest that I'm in. Um, I did a bit of coding at some stage. So in my spare hour of an evening, I'm just going to see if I can get an app together. <laughs> the world is is incredibly complex, like you say, let alone the, the actual content that you're doing. But in, in terms of just that kind of having a digital company, which has so many options and the ability to affect so many people in a positive way but like i say i can imagine that kind of it's a no-brainer when you think about it but like i say there's the odd headache along the way in terms of actually getting it off the ground yeah they they don't say blood sweat and tears for nothing <laughs> <laughs> um so just sort of, sort of continuing down this route a little bit you sort of mentioned your team sort of how many people are involved and sort of what sort of areas do they have to cover in order to, to sort of make it successful so um right now we are seven people it's my co-founder vanessa and myself um uh doing you know the the, the administrative i want to say which is not what my favorite part of work but you know is, is kind of like guiding the product product and project um, she's our COO. And then we have um, two salespeople in the education space that are um, now hitting the ground running. Um, a marketing lead, we have a clinical lead, and then we have um, one in-house developer and lots and lots of external creatives and developers that we work with um, to uh, put everything together. So altogether, seven people in various different areas, but everybody is wearing two or three hats. So we are doing the work of a 20 person team right now. And like, thank you team, if you're listening to this, <laughs> um, but uh, we're still, we're still quite small, but at least that makes us agile. Yeah, for sure. And, and also like I say, when, when you've got that goal and that vision and I, and I think that the momentum of people wanting to, to get on board because they can see yeah. the, the benefit that it's going to have, I think then like I say agile is one thing, but when you've got that kind of forward momentum and positive energy yeah. and, and the collaborative feel of everyone that's involved, yeah. it, it really makes a, makes a really big difference. Yeah. Um, in terms of schools and people listening who think, yes i definitely want to find out more i definitely want to kind of have something along these lines which is going to help the people that, that we're supporting how does that work is it getting a demo is it having a conversation is it a trial how, how, how does that work well it's practically all of them depending on what makes you most comfortable so um i think a call at the first instance say okay what is it exactly that you offer? What does that look like? Um, and then we would explain what EQ is, what it does, um, how, how the setup is, and um, ask a few questions like, who are your pupils or your students? How many? Um, where are they located? And then if um, that generates enough interest, then we usually do a demo or we come in and we do a talk. So I, I love in the education space that the teachers are and everybody working in the schools and, and colleges and universities are very curious and very interested in learning. So when I come in, I, I usually do a bit of a talk about resilience and positive mental health, and they're all eager to learn more and, and you know, find out ways to implement it. So that, that's really fun. Um, and then after that, of course, everybody's so wowed that they say we'd like to have it for our school. <laughs> um, we, we find a way to fit into their budget. Right. So we're we're quite flexible if, you know, we have to 
postpone an order a little bit or something like that to fit into their next budget cycle, we're, we're happy to do that and, but still get their students set up. And, um, it's quite easy because we, we plug into their MIS and, um, we do everything from our side because we are very well aware that everybody is overworked. And the last thing that they want is to get a product that needs them to work even more. So it's practically automated um, from our side then. Yeah, and that's something I've heard um, a few times recently, and, and it makes perfect sense, let's say, because you've got the control and the ability to do everything that's needed, and the integration yeah. then in terms of, of how it works there end is very simple, and, yeah. and like I say, just fits as it's something that they know, yeah. and, and it's an, an, an obvious yeah. kind of, an, uh, an obvious fix, yeah. as, as, as they would say. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about your kind of your background and your passion for it, but is there an education experience or a teacher that you remember that had an impact and, uh, and what was that? Yes, yes, there is actually. So um, I am very, very bad at math. <laughs> um, I would almost, I, I have the suspicion that I have a dyscalculi, which is kind of like the math version of dyslexia, but I, I think maybe it's just it never clicked properly. Um, and we had a math teacher who was very, very old in my uh, view back in the days. I don't know how old he actually was, but he seemed to me ancient. And he was very strict and very mathematic. And it was extremely hard for me to be able to keep up. But the one thing about him was that he had this banter going on with the class. And he allowed us to kind of have little pockets of humor and human interaction and everything to get us through the next hard piece of math work so to speak and we would we would he he, he was tough on me but I I think I was pretty tough on him too I was a teenager and with a big mouth um and I will I will never forget him and in my like my last art piece I drew him um, being overrun by the Huns, which while well, he was trying to teach us math and things like that. So <laughs> he was kind of like the teacher that in, in a subject that I never fell in love with, he he still kind of allowed me to go to class, not being completely dreading it. Yeah, I love that. And it's, it's such an amazing theme that comes back time and time again, that that human connection, yeah. I see you, you see me, and we're here doing it together and and like I say and I think even more so when it's a subject like I say that maybe not your forte or something yeah. that you you want to spend your time doing I think that's even more of a gift because it just changes your perception not even necessarily just of that particular subject but the fact that learning is is much more than just about the like I say that particular academic or, or that particular grade or mm -hmm. whatever your perception is at the time mm -hmm. um What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Or maybe what's the piece of advice you might give your younger self now looking back? Well, I I think I have to credit my husband with this one. Because during the startup, um, there I'm, I'm a psychologist, right? So I'm not a business person. I never learned anything about business. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and then you have to do these spreadsheets and financial forecasts. And you have to understand how like shares get diluted and things like that. And it was just, it was all a different language to me. And I, I wasn't that interested in either, but I knew I had to learn it. A little bit like math and statistics when you're studying psychology. Um, and I was telling him about feeling a little bit, like I had this, um, what's that complex called again? When you think you're not good enough for something, um, uh, when you think you're pretending to be someone that you're not, um, there's a complex, um, 
Oh, I know, I know what you mean. You know what I, I mean? mean? Exactly. Yeah. The yeah, uh, exactly that complex. Anyway, I was telling him about it, and he says, "Well, that just means you gotta try harder. You gotta learn more until it it goes away." And I was like, "Thanks for nothing." <laughs> but then I went and I got um, investment for dummies, and I started reading up, and to the point, and I could feel it switch off. Because I realize I understand enough to be able to hold the conversation, to make informed decisions, but I don't need to go all the way. And so whenever, um, uh, imposter, imposter syndrome, imposter that's syndrome. it. Thank you, brain. <laughs> Better late than never, right? Um, and now whenever I get that feeling again, I just said, okay, this just shows me that I need to uh, dig deeper, work a little bit harder for that until uh, I, I feel it go away. At least that was the, that was the way it worked for me. And um, whenever something like that happens again, I feel overwhelmed. I, I just, you know, I say, okay, now it's now it's time for for a grunt, and and that always works. And I think that's an amazing thing for people to hear, especially. I mean, my daughter's doing GCSEs this year, mm -hmm. and that sense of well, you need to be brilliant at everything. You know, you should be aiming for whatever in every subject. It's like, <sighs> well. There are people who can do that. Um, but the majority of people have things that they weren't naturally gifted at because it's their interest in the, and they have an affinity with it and it seems to come much easier. There's usually some which are okay and it kind of works really hard and some that maybe you're not so good at. Mm -hmm. And like you say, depending on what level that you're prepared to work at, sort of dictates a little bit of that mm -hmm. you know you might say well i could get this kind of grade in this but actually i can put the grunt in i can do the work and it's going to be important to me and i can push that up but, but i think understanding what it is and why you're doing mm -hmm. it and how you're doing it and also the effect of doing that because mm -hmm. doing that across many subjects is going to leave you with very little time for yourself mm -hmm. and the need for the well-being mm -hmm. and support and, and all of that mm -hmm. kind of thing and i think understanding all those things in the round mm -hmm. is, is important for for the staff yeah. as, as well as for pupils as well yeah um is there a resource that you'd like to share and this can be anything from a video a podcast song anything which has had an impact and it could be professional or, or personal i i think one of the books that's had the biggest impact on me but this is like 15 years ago but still you know it still sticks with me is the power of now from eckhart tolle that that really took me into a different level of awareness that has stuck with me ever since and has was very explanatory and it, it brought some calm into my life so you know anybody who has a little bit of time i i would be surprised if it didn't add something beautiful to your life i would say that's that's the the book and uh, podcasts um i've been listening to dr huberman lately who is um uh, neuro scientist i think or something like that i forgot what he was but he's great he's great and it's so interesting and you know he just kind of brings latest and current research forward in such uh, uh engaging way that you just go like oh wow this is exciting let's translate it into to make it relevant to your life so i i love his podcast yeah they're amazing and we'll have links to those on the show notes and i'm, I'm interested from a, a psychologist's point of view that idea of Eckhart Tolle and the power of now and, and, and all of that kind of thing, how does that work from your sort of scientific um, brain aware understanding to that kind of more sort of spiritual or or physicality in terms of the way he talks? Oh, I love that you just asked that. So my, my inner nerd just went like, wee. Um, so I think that the core, oops, the core of all 
religions, spiritual practices, and new age, I'm doing little air quotes, um, books like The Power of Now all have the same roots as positive psychology and they point in the same direction. So things like prayer, meditation, chanting, moments of stillness, doesn't matter from which religion you get it, all goes to the same part of the brain um, and the heart rate variability, you know, the breathing, um, relaxing your your um, level of stress. And, and that goes for most everything. So the actual pure teachings of almost everything out there, that it doesn't get too complicated or too philosophical or something like that, all goes together to a core human experience with different labels. And we can take practically everything out there and then give it a psychological label or a psychological name and then explain why it does what it's supposed to do. And, and that is super interesting and, and, and wonderful and is one of the reasons why I'm so enamored with psychology. Yeah, fantastic. And and really and really interesting because I sort of it's certainly for me it's a it's a real fascination between like you say whether it's a spiritual experience, whether it's psychological, whether it's both, whether it's the same. Yeah. And and like you say, I, I think for me, very often, like you say, you hear lots of different things and then there's a thread of something yes. which you go there's the truth for me and not necessarily in terms of what it is but in terms of how it speaks to you because yeah. of course that's going to be the same for different people so yeah. the reason people listen to different podcasts yeah. or read different books there's something there which is that kind of ah, oh, there's my connection with what i'm understanding and yeah. what i'm looking for and yeah. and that bringing their sense of back to who you are and i think that's why that's why I love the podcast so much because it gives it gives people the chance to hear the person behind the app, the person behind the organization. And and that just gives it a whole different meaning and a whole different perspective and a, and a different relationship. Yeah. And it's so different than just sort of, like you say, seeing the the app store picture or the or the website and that kind of thing because it's so much more than that it's the passion and, and the blood sweat and tears that comes from it and the reason for that which i think yeah. just sort of completely changes the feeling of of what it is that you want to get involved yeah. in like i say yeah. Uh, yeah i really love yeah. that the acronym fire is incredibly important to us here at education on fire and by that we mean feedback inspiration resilience and empowerment what is it that immediately springs to mind when you hear hear those four things well um i i'm just thinking like what kind of skills in the game fit to all those different acronyms <laughs> and and which which part like oh that would be from story four and that would be story five and i use this skill would be resilience and that skill would be inspiration <laughs> and that skill would be feedback and and i think that is practically boils down to what we just discussed right that it that the fire um is they're all aspects of positive psychology or psychology um, and they are so important to to the human experience and what drives us and what what makes us stronger, better, and gets us to the next day without you know being crushed. I love it. I love it. Well, Zilia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your passion and and, and sharing your story and, and everything that you're doing. So, if people want to find out more, where's where's the website? Where's the place for them to, to get started? So it's um, eq eq u double o game dot com, and then they can read all about our research, 
the product, how to get in touch with us. Um, and then there'll be a contact form. And the minute you fill that out, someone will be doing a happy dance in our headquarters. <laughs> so please do. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we would love to, to start a relationship and make sure that your, your learners are the best they can be and uh, happy as they can be. Fantastic. And I, I just love the way that, like you said, at the very beginning, this kind of, it falls into the mix of people's lives. And the more we can show it is that, expand it is that, and and integrate it is, is part of everything that people can do in a way that can be really supportive and proactive. I think that's going to really change lives. So yeah, thank you so much again for what you're doing and also for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.